Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I am joined by my usual comrade in arms, my co-host, John Sheeran. John, how are you? It's it's we, we said it before we kicked off the show. There's like a lot of news, but not a lot of news in terms of the Bengals. It's kind of yeah, a weird time. Really grateful that they decided to uh, break the news about Taylor the day after he recorded last week. So now we have six days to catch up <laughs> on it. But, yeah, I'm wearing the... Uh, since the jungle shirt because it's oh, like a, site where a lot of or a lot of people love me right now. Um, oh. Obviously, sarcasm intended, but but yeah, I'm feeling good because there's a lot of a lot of things are going in motion and we're starting to put the pieces together about what we're going to see in 2019. That's that's exciting because for a long time it's been the same status quo and now we're starting to see change. Whether that's good or bad, it's just exciting to see. Yeah, well, well by the way, I, I've been at Cincy Jungle since 2011, buddy. They they cut they. <laughs> The haters come out. That's what happens. And we'll talk about one of those topics in particular as to uh, where John is catching a lot of grief in terms of a certain player at a certain position potentially joining the Bengals this offseason. We'll also talk about the massive upheaval amongst the coaching staff that has taken place uh, really since last podcast episode and um, since Marvin Lewis has has been – ousted, I guess, as Bengals head coach. And it is going to be a very, very different looking team, very different looking staff. We'll talk about all of that uh, here on this week's episode. I wanted to uh, just quickly, before we dive into everything, I wanted to quickly say a thank you to Tyler Boyd and to Vizio for um, joining us last week on a uh, special interview. We didn't attach it to the specific podcast episode, but it is on the feed as its own interview. Uh, we've seen a lot of downloads on that, a lot of feedback on that. So we hope that you enjoyed uh, the interview that we had with with Tyler Boyd. I know um, that was a great experience, and uh, he's he's got a lot going on, and obviously a rising star for the Bengals. And then uh, later this week, we'll be talking with Mark Walton, Bengals running back. He's at the NFLPA Bowl in Los Angeles, uh, so we're going to talk to him. That will also probably be a similar setup in terms of uh, how it's going to show up on our feeds. It'll probably be a standalone interview uh, because we've got a lot to get to tonight. But um, Back, back, back-to-back weeks where we've talked to a couple of Bengals players. We're excited about that, and like we said, as the new year began, we hope to bring you more of those throughout the year, and uh, we're pretty excited. And I think, you know, uh, we could talk about this maybe after next week after we talk to Mark. But uh, I hope, I hope that this staff 
potentially finds a good place for him, John, um, in terms of usage and kind of do that three-headed running back type of thing that a lot of explosive offenses have. Oh, for sure. And like, like Walden was projected to be like a day two pick because, you know, his highs at Miami were just as good as a lot of other running backs like last year. And um, obviously the injury kind of pummeled his stock a little bit, but he's definitely better than what he showed in 2018. And I think that the, he definitely has a high ceiling in terms of, in terms of skill at, at that position. So it, it's hard to find a better third running back, I think in terms of natural talent. Yeah. Uh, you know, I hope, I hope he gets the chance to, to flash. And I think, if you heard Tyler talk about it last week, Tyler Boyd, uh, he was excited about, you know, a potential offensive mind coming into Cincinnati as the coaching staff. And I'm sure uh, Mark Walton will probably, I would assume, say the same thing, even though they probably liked Marvin. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're ready for kind of a more progressive approach uh, in terms of offensive football. Speaking of coaches, John, it is let's just do a quick rundown of things in, in terms of what has happened um, we talked about candidates. We did that fun game last week. Since we have taken the air for a full episode, um, the Bengals have um, – it's been basically kind of made somewhat public that they are going to be selecting Zach Taylor, uh, the Rams quarterback coach, as their next head coach. Small, small chance that it is Eric Bieniemy, um, but I, I think – at this point, all of the rumor mill stuff has it being Zach Taylor, and um, you know I don't think the enemy's in there. But they have to wait until both of these guys are done this next weekend. Yeah, it's Taylor. Like, uh, like at, at this point, he's, he's building together his staff, and like I know that they can't officially announce it, but this is not anything like really new. Like, it, yeah. it, this this report leaked. Like, it's the same thing with McDaniel's last year. Like, he's put he's quietly putting together his staff. He knows about it and. NFL's just not going to do anything because they, I, there's pl- plenty of owners there that just kind of kind of want to cancel this rule altogether, where you can't officially hire an assistant. But like, un- unless the, the only reason why it, w- it wouldn't be Taylor is if he pulls he pulls a McDaniel's and somehow McVay like lures him back in Los Angeles. But um, yeah, it's it, it's going to be Taylor, and I think that the Bengals are extremely excited about that just based off what we heard, and it's kind of more or less the same as a lot of people, you know, a lot of teams when they talk about their coaches, how, you know, he lit up the room in an interview. He, he had a commanding presence about it and whatnot. And it's kind of all the same, you know, cliche stuff. And you kind of get lost in that. But um, when, when we talked about like Taylor and the, and the prospect of him, it, it was more of, you know, he has connections with McVay and that is a strong like selling point with him. But for me personally, if he were to get hired as a head coach, it wouldn't just be, just be because he's learning from McVay. It would be he portrays similar qualities of him having a commanding presence as a leader and an astute football mind and kind of the same things that have, you know, the, the Rams are obviously gravitated towards McVay. And that's kind of the things that we're hearing about, you know, how he's such such a genius when it comes to football acumen and all that stuff. And just even with a limited resume, he's he's ready to you know, take on a, a larger leadership role and how the Bengals are kind of putting a lot of trust in him with that. And apparently – I think it was Jake Glazer who reported that the Bengals were vetting him, like you know, the, in the final few weeks of the season when they knew they were going to, you know, move on from Marvin, and they kind of had this planned out all, all from there. But obviously, the Rams were in the playoffs and going to be, you know, in the playoffs for a couple weeks into January, so they couldn't really do anything. They had to kind of sit on that information. But this is something that has been in the works for well over a month now, and something that I think they're extremely confident with. And that kind of tells me that this is more than just a guy who's just has a slight connection with with McVay. With McVay, he possesses similar qualities that made McVay special. And that, that doesn't mean that he's going to be of that similar caliber. It's just, it's just rare to find a 
coach like McVay, but I think that that them taking this chance kind of signifies that they do have confidence he can be somewhat like that. Yeah, there's risks involved for sure. We talked about that in our little one-word game and all of that, but there's the potential's there for sure um, if if Zach Taylor ends up being the guy. And, it, and all signs point to that. Um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, Jay Glazer came out and spoke very highly about uh, Zach Taylor. You heard from Ian Rappaport that apparently he, quote-unquote, blew the doors off of his interview Uh for the, for the Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, a lot of other people are saying he, he has good command of a room and all of that, even though he is a position coach, he his only offensive coordinator duties in the NFL have been either as an interim guy in, with the dolphins um, or I believe at the university of Cincinnati as well, really just kind of a, an assistant, a position coach at the NFL level. He has never been a head coach at the college or NFL level. So um, there is risk there, but uh, apparently he is well thought of in a lot of circles, but here's the thing. The Bengals still technically have a vacancy at head coach. And if you've been following things, you should be following CincyJungle.com for all of these news pieces. But they have a vacancy at offensive coordinator now. Bill Lazor's gone. We knew that the defensive coordinator spot was going to be open. That's still open. Um, uh, tight ends coach still open now offensive line coach that was kind of surprise kind of a surprise there frank pollock is supposedly being letting being let go um really i think they're uh, the running backs coach kyle kasky is gone um so there's there's a lot of staff that needs to be um a lot of staff positions that need to be filled out so uh, recent news that came out on wednesday is that Daryl Bevel is signing with the Lions as their offensive coordinator. A few days earlier, it had come out that the, that supposedly Zach Taylor was targeting Bevel as his offensive coordinator. Now there are mixed opinions on, you know, what who Bevel is and what he can do and all of that. Um, there are there's probably a lot more positives than negatives, but the the negatives are kind of highlighted there. But my, my where I'm going, John is. The Bengals have now made a decision to hire one of these guys that are that are still active in the postseason, so they cannot announce the hiring. They cannot make it official, and then they cannot get other, these other positions filled. So is it worth the wait if, say, Taylor gets to the Super Bowl, wins the Super Bowl, comes into the locker room with that you know young guy with the Super Bowl ring, comes from the explosive Rams team? Is it worth that wait – while potentially losing out on other coordinators that could be valuable assets to this team, Daryl Bevel, Greg Williams, all of these guys are starting to cut, you know, uh, I think Steve Wilkes got picked up. Todd Monken, the guy, a guy that the Bengals interviewed, he's now going to the Browns as an offensive coordinator. I mean, there's a, there's a major risk factor here in that they can't announce anybody and then hire anybody else for their staff. Yeah. That's an interesting point because I'll, I'll go back to the McDaniels example when they couldn't officially hire him. I think that they had uh, Eberfelis or Eberfluss, the defensive coordinator, already on staff because he assumed that Mc, that McDaniels was going to come over there. So I think when teams do this, sometimes they do hire uh, assistants that the that the head coach wants embedded, and they kind of just kind of roll roll with it, assuming that everything would come to plan. So I don't know what is exactly is stopping the Bengals from hiring a guy like Todd Mockin or Darryl Bowl because both those guys were available and they could have easily hired them under the assumption that um, Taylor would, co would come over there. So I don't know if those are guys that were rumored to be interested or were, were the guys that, you know, Taylor is 
actually officially targeting. I know that a report came out from uh, Ben Albright that Bill Callahan is pretty much a near lock to become Bengals' new offensive line coach after Frank Pollock apparently just left the team on his own and wasn't actually fired. He just kind of left on his own accord, and we don't know anything about that. But regardless, I think Callahan is one of the guys that uh, Taylor is locked in on getting, and if Callahan ends up either staying in Washington or going to another team, then I think that, that that's something that warrants a little bit of worry. But when you're talking about a guy who you would rather have Super Bowl experience, well, Lewis – Marvin Lewis did have Super Bowl uh, winning experience because he joined the Bengals like two years after the Ravens won the ring. Obviously, it's not the same situation because it wasn't in that same offseason. But I think that they would definitely value. I think they're on. I think they said that they want they would they would prefer Taylor to come in with that latest ring. And, and if it doesn't happen, then they get they they just put together the staff that Taylor wants you know sooner. But I think I, I I'm just not sure what it, what exactly is stopping them from hiring guys who are available to hire at this moment if they do believe that. You know, Taylor and them have some type, type of verbal agreement that, that, that things are going to come into place. And if it doesn't happen, then they're just basically the Colts where they have a new head coach, but they have all these assistants that have come on under the assumption that the head coach would come there. So it, it, it is kind of a weird dynamic. I do think that when it's all said and done, they would value the experience that uh, Taylor had with the Rams going deep into a potential postseason run. They're just two games away from winning the Super Bowl. And I do think that that's, value, that's valuable to them in the same way that they valued Marvin Lewis's championship experience as a coordinator for the Ravens and kind of having, you know, turned that whole team around. And now, as we talked about, you know, the continual progression on from the Lewis era, you have a defensive-minded coach with championship experience, brought a lot of discipline and a positive culture there. Now you have potentially an offensive-minded coach with what could be very well championship-level experience, bringing in a whole new mentality to kind of pick, take them to a further spot. So I definitely think it's valuable, and I'm just not sure – if they can hire some of the guys that Taylor wants right now. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, there, there may be kind of a gentleman's, a bunch of gentlemen's agreements out there, right. That are mm-hmm. just kind of the, the virtual handshakes that Taylor's reaching out to people. And um, maybe some of this stuff, the bevel stuff, maybe that's just not accurate. Um, and he's got his staff in place. And the plan is once he's ready to, you know, once his team is either out of the playoffs or won a Super Bowl, then they will come in and they will usher in the entire staff almost simultaneously. Maybe that's the plan, and that's you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I will say, I will say that there is there is a difference between Lewis winning a Super Bowl and coming in. And granted, the Bengals really played on that. If you're if you remember, John, when Lewis came to Cincinnati, they had billboards in the town with him holding a football, wearing the the Super Bowl ring, and all, they they did a big ad campaign with Marvin Lewis as the Super Bowl winning guy. So I would imagine, and that was like you said, uh, two or three years prior to his arrival in Cincinnati. I would imagine that you know, Taylor coming in with a Super Bowl ring that he just won would probably, wow, you know, that would probably, you know, turn some heads in that locker room. And I think that's kind of what this team needs. And to be honest with you, there's going to be knocks on him because of his age. I'm older than him. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, I mean, not by much, not by much, not by much, not by much, but there's going to be some knocks on him in terms of inexperience and age. And if he comes in with the supposed confidence we hear about and that ring that he just won, that should win some guys over, I would think. Yeah, because people have knocked on Taylor's resume for not being extensive. Like how, how extensive is a guy who's 35 years old resume is going to be? The average head coach <laughs> hires like 45 to 55, that kind of age range. At that point, coaches have 20-something years of experience from grad level to assistance to coordinator to finally head coach, along with maybe some experience in college. 
he had four years of grad uh, assistant experience. He had a couple years as a quarterback coach. He was an offensive coordinator in college for one year. And now he's got two more years of assistant coaching experience. And another knock I heard is that he only got the grad assistant job and then the coordinator qu- quarterback coach job in Miami because he worked under his father-in-law, Mike Sherman, who quote unquote got him the jobs, whatever. So maybe, maybe he was more sort of a, of a, of a, a nepotic uh, hire at the beginning and kind of worked his way up from there. But regardless, when you hire someone as young as Taylor, you're banking on just, just kind of what we alluded to, the, the, the young genius vibe, I guess, which is what really makes McVay special. And if they believe that he's that, that caliber of coach, then you have to take the chance on that. If you, if you have the chance to hire someone like that, that no one else is willing to take the chance on, obviously he's not going to have the past experience that a guy like the enemy or a guy like Monken has, but he has something that you believe is truly special and can truly elevate the guys on your team. And if you have the chance to do that, then you might as well roll the dice. Yeah, and I, I saw this uh, statement in the um, in the live YouTube chat from Lou Malnati says uh, or Lou Malnati maybe that maybe it's Cincinnati. Um, totally disagree. There's no major risk. Taylor's well connected, and there's plenty of talent out there. Yeah, but uh, the thing is, is uh, I think where the concern stems is this league is a frenzy type of league. And I, I agree that Taylor's well-connected. He's probably got a lot of guys lined up, if not if not everybody lined Undoubtedly. up. Undoubtedly. But my, my point is, is we've seen this league get to be frenzied. And if you're not, you're Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last. You know, I mean, you see it in free agency. You see what, ha- you know, there's no talks of trades at all during the draft, up to the draft. And then all of a sudden draft weekend, draft night, all of a sudden it's just wacky. Um, so I guess my point is, is these there's kind of the Black Monday thing where all the the coaches get fired or let go, or in the case of Marvin Lewis, whatever that may be. Um, and guys are, you know, they're bringing in new staffs. They're trying to hire the hot names and go forward and and get a leg up. The other thing that I think is is an issue, a potential issue, I should say, John, in not having a staff in place is the the scouting issue. Right. Uh, we're, we're now getting into, like I said, we're interviewing Mark Walton. The NFL PA Bowl is this this coming weekend. You've got the Shrine game. You've got the Senior Bowl. You've got the Combine all coming up. And when you are the Cincinnati Bengals, who have a light scouting department and rely more heavily on your coaches as scouts, that's a potential problem when you don't have these guys in place. Yeah. And yeah, like you're exactly right. I think they have like four, I think, actual regional scouts and a couple other like assistants to uh, Duke Tobin, who's also has Bill Tobin on the staff. But yeah, for so many years, you had, you know, position coaches that were in charge of scouting for those positions in in the NFL draft and then doing their own work. And that's that's kind of what makes, you know, the, the position coaches on the team feel special. And that's why Paul Alexander had such influence on drafting his guys and it ended up not turning out so well at the end. But yeah, that's a whole thing because now half the staff is purged and and at this point, you, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to, I guess, catch up with the rest of the league because you don't have that massive, you know, scouting department to kind of to fill in the blanks when other teams kind of have uh, position coaches more on, on the outside of the war room rather than inside. So, yeah, and definitely without the head coach already in the room, you know, if, if Taylor loses on Sunday, I don't know if he's going to like rush to Cincinnati for the announcement and then rush down to mobile for the senior bowl. I, I, because I don't know if they want him doing that. I don't know if the coordinators are going to be in there in time. I think it's going to be an extremely rushed process, but in the end, like if you have to miss out on a couple all-star games to, and, you know, just delay the whole scouting process by a couple of weeks, I, I, I personally think it's worth it just, just, just because it's a, 
it's just a consequence of, of their own set and circumstances of their situation. But that's just something that they just have to deal with, I guess. Yeah, and that's it's just kind of a perfect storm of, of issues in terms of potential risk. You know, you don't have your, your uh, the bulk of your staff in place. You don't even really have your head coach technically in place. Um, you rely on the coaching staff more than most other teams in terms of the scouting process. And then you rely on the draft more heavily as a franchise <laughs> than, than a lot of other teams. I mean, it's just kind of like this sequential thing where you go, oh, boy, I mean, are we, are we kind of – setting up for Taylor to be behind the eight ball a little bit, probably not a ton, but there's, to me, there's a little bit of risk there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, let us know what you guys think in the live YouTube chat or on cjungle.com. We've got the comment thread there. You can, you can talk to us. Uh, and if you are listening to this podcast after the fact you can join us live every episode that we record we do record through youtube and it's streamed on cincyjungle.com but you can also get the show on uh art 19 on stitcher on google play on itunes and like i said youtube and cincy jungle download the show how you can and we do have as i said a uh an upcoming interview with Mark Walton uh, a little bit later this week. And that should be a lot of fun going forward and talking to him about all of these things that we're talking about on this week's episode. All right. So let's, let's transition to the next big topic that kind of all started yesterday. And again, <laughs> it was, it was Ben Albright who I, I will say he gets most of these, mo- most, most of the things that he tweets out, he ends up being more right than wrong. Uh, so I'll just preface it with that. He said that it wouldn't be surprising if Ryan Tannehill ended up in Cincinnati. Now, first hearing of that, your your natural initial reaction is, ew, because Ryan Tannehill is not a good quarterback. He was, was okay for the first couple years when Zach Taylor was with him as his quarterback coach. But from the overall standpoint, his career is basically going downhill. You know, There's not much upside with him left. He's going to be 30 years old. He's very injury prone. So initially, you're like, why in the world would the Bengals want Ryan Tannehill? How would they even get Ryan Tannehill? And that's where a lot of Bengals fans kind of stop in their process because they're stuck on a couple of things. They're stuck on Andy Dalton being good enough to lead the Bengals deep into the postseason and the Bengals being only a few pieces away from actually being a Super Bowl contender. And the, the, the only way that we can look at a potential Ryan Tannehill scenario is if we have to realize that both of those statements aren't true. So when I first heard about Ryan Tannehill, I thought immediately he's an ideal bridge. He's an ideal bridge quarterback, just like Andy Dalton. And so when you compare Andy Dalton and Ryan Tannehill as your bridge quarterbacks for one or two years, when eventually they're, they're going to be, um, you know, helping mentoring like a young quarterback that eventually Zach Taylor will, Taylor will bring in. They're practically the same kind of guy. You know, they're not going to, tank you necessarily they're not going to lead you to the four win seasons w- with the current roster that the Bengals have but at the same time they're they're, they're not going to take you anywhere with the, with the team that they have they're not going to elevate the team around them they're not franchise quarterbacks at this point so roughly you can have a preference on which one the, uh, about which quarterback of the two but roughly they, they belong in the same tier the difference here is that if you presumably sign Ryan Tannehill who by and large is probably going to get cut by the Dolphins what do you do with Dalton? The only way you, the only reasonable and logical 
way that you would suppose Dalton to get Tannehill is if you trade Dalton away and if you find a suitor who will give you proper compensation for Dalton. So at the end of the day, the difference between Ryan Tannehill and Andy Dalton is presumably, let's call it two high draft picks. Let's call it two at least day two draft picks. It's kind of similar to what the Bengals were hoping to get with AJ McCarron. And the only, and in my mind, what you would do with those day two draft picks is that you basically start the trade up for a quarterback fund. So the whole point in my mind of bringing in Ryan Tannehill, a guy that Zach Taylor is comfortable with, is to kind of, for Taylor to institute his offense and his regime for the next two years so he can distribute the ball the same way Andy can do, so you can kind of evaluate the talent around him. While at the same time, by bringing in Tannehill and trading away Dalton, you gain assets to then trade up for a quarterback in a future draft class. Because at this point in the game, in the NFL, there's a reality when you draft quarterbacks in the first round. You either take one first overall because they're the worst team in the league, or you end up trading up for one. The Bengals don't like to trade up in the draft. They would only do such a thing if they had an overstock of draft picks in their disposal. How did they get an overstock of draft picks? By trading one of their high-priced assets, a.k.a. Andy Dalton. So at the end of the day, the Bengals are going are going to invest a high draft pick in a quarterback within the next two or three years. I don't know how they do that, but trading away Dalton, bringing in Tannehill to be basically the same guy Dalton is, while having those picks to start the fund to trade up for a quarterback that eventually would replace Tannehill, I think is a very smart option. I think it's something that's being easily dismissed by Bengals fans because they just think that Tannehill's not that good of a quarterback as Dalton, and they wouldn't want to waste their time with someone someone like that. Okay, so we're we're already getting some uh, <laughs> we're already getting some interesting comments in the in the live YouTube chat about it. Um, I, I guess just to play devil's advocate, you know, you, you're you're saying. He's a guy who could put up the same numbers as Andy, do the same things as Andy, um, and and there is there are some indicators to point to that. There are a lot of indicators that would say he maybe is not as good as Andy Dalton in some respects. Uh, Which is fine. So what 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 is your what would be your response to that if someone says, well, why why would you? Is it you would take a downgrade and a and a potential immediate another immediate backstep um, in terms of win loss record for picks and and that's to accumulate those picks and potentially have a move up maybe not in 2019 but late maybe 2020. Yeah, 2020 I think would be like the first year that that they look at drafting the eventual quarterback that we will judge Zach Taylor on. At this point in 2019, we have to accept that the Bengals are just not ready to compete. They've won 19 games in the past three seasons. Andy Dolan is not going to cut it, even under a new coach. It's just not going to happen. And the first, and the sooner that we accept that, the better that we can essentially move on. We're, we're stuck in the mindset that 2019 is the year that they can compete, regardless of what quarterback is there. Even if it's a rookie quarterback, you can't count on a rookie quarterback to be Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, guys like that, those are the anomalies. If you draft a quarterback and and in play him as rookie year, odds are he's not going to produce at a high level. You need a high-level producing quarterback to win the Super Bowl. The Bengals are just not going to be able to get that in 2019. They have to think about the future. And I, and I, something I've gotten a lot today is, why don't they just start Jeff Driscoll? If you start Jeff Driscoll, you're not making it fair to the rest of the team, and you can't fairly evaluate what you have when you eventually move on to that rookie contract because you're not going to know if John Ross is the guy 
is the guy you want moving on across from AJ Green because Jeff Driscoll's throwing the ball. Same thing goes with Josh Malone on Tate for the defensive guys. If Jeff if Jeff Driscoll keeps you know punting the ball away, going three and out because he can't you know hit the broad side of a barn, then your defense is put in a bad shape like they have been for the past two years. You need somewhat of a competent quarterback, and that's why Dalton and Tannehill would be ideal quarterbacks for this. But again, the difference between Dalton and Tannehill is that one of them will probably give you draft picks to eventually get the get the guy that we should be vying for in the future. We have to get past just playing Tannehill as the Bengals starter for one or two years. That, that we just have to accept that, swallow it because. It's the promise of something greater on the other side. Okay, so let's talk the let's talk about contract, right? Um, Dalton, as we know, is due. He's due sixteen million. We've talked about this a lot. We've talked about it on the web, on CincyJungle.com a lot. Um, he's due sixteen million. The Bengals have a, a pretty <laughs> nice a pretty nice uh, out um, in terms of you know if they if they uh, cap penalty if they if they cut bait with him this year. Um, Ryan Tannehill is slated to have a almost $26.6 million cap number uh, this year with the Dolphins. That's probably part of the reason why you're saying he's going to be cut. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not worth that. Do you think that he would come to Cincinnati on a potential deal that is less than what the Bengals are paying Dalton and – do you think the bank? Do you trust the Bengals to use those funds in a way to better their team in terms of free agency signings? That would be a definite pressure for them. I think what Tannehill will get paid here would be in the ballpark of Dalton, and just the money that they have to pay him would just kind of expire probably by the end of the twenty twenty season. But yeah, that's another big question. You know, how is Zach Taylor? going to transition from the Rams who are the most hyper and aggro aggressive teams in terms of roster construction free agency to the Bengals who by and large just ignore free agency and just kind of settle with a one-year deal and that's that's about it so how they how they evolve under Taylor with potentially a quarterback that's not going to need a lot of cap that's going to be interesting but uh, like like again with Andy Dolan we would probably be asking the same question because Dolan is making I think 16 mil and Compared to franchise quarterbacks, it's like almost last in the league for guys on their second contract. So that's yeah. a definite pressure that we have to probably ask ourselves and kind of hold that team to that standard if they want to move on. Well, I hate to tell you, John, you're not really winning many of our live listeners. They, they they're not. They're not seeing the vision, and, and that's fine. They, they, it's natural if Bengals fans want to compete in 2019. That's completely fine. I understand that. But that's not the point that I'm making. I'm trying to look past 2019. I'm right. trying to build for the future that we're going to judge Zach Taylor. We should not judge Zach Taylor on 2019. They're just not ready yet. Right. I, I see both sides of this argument, to be honest with you. Um, and I think that the the issue that some fans have, it, it's it's the, the Andy Dalton thing, right? He's, he's – I, I hate to use this word, but he's he's kind of a tease, right? I mean, he's <laughs> at times he can be he can make throws where you go, "Wow, there it is," and he has uh, I think he's got twenty four or so comeback wins in his fourth quarter comeback wins he's led the team to in his career. That's pretty good. Um, you know, he's led the team to five straight postseason berths. He's a good human. He's done a lot of stuff in the city of Cincinnati. He's got them so close, and in uh, you know a couple of years where they could have made some th- some things happen potentially, 2015 being the shining example, he wasn't there at the end of the year to to potentially make that a a very special season. There there are 
ardent, ardent Dalton supporters. And I think that that is why people have a hard time, uh, aside from, you know, maybe not a fourth year in a row of not being competitive. I think that is why people are, are not on board with this type of move. And that's some of these comments in the, in the live YouTube chat are, are saying that. Um, and I've said this too, John, I, if there were two men, two guys that I would like to see win a championship, it would be Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton. I just don't know that they they ever will at the NFL level, given their talent level or lack thereof. I will say this. There was one from our good friend uh, John from Kentucky. I believe he's vape guy. Um, he basically said uh, – he now had he he never has had one thing and that thing is huge and that's a co a, a big game coach a coach who shines in the big game so i think that's where some people are saying well why not let him why not see what he can do in this system maybe he is a different guy under this new coach in this new system and I'd like to believe that, but Dalton's going to be 32 next year. It's right. so rare for quarterbacks to just suddenly flip a switch that they haven't flipped since their college days and turn into some game-changing quarterback. Like, I'd like to believe it's happened. I live in a reality where it just doesn't happen that much. He's just not that guy. And I think – the I think you're, you're right. There's, de there's definitely a lot of Andy fans. I'm an Andy fan. I like him as a person. I understand who he is as a quarterback. But I also think that we've kind of overturned the consensus – as to Andy is good, but he's just not good enough, and we need to find the next guy. I'm giving, I'm proposing an option of finding the next guy, but because it's bringing in Tannehill and trading Dalton away, I'm, I'm, I'm met with backlash because Tannehill stinks, and I know he stinks. He, he's not, he's barely better than Dalton if he is considered better than Dalton. He's just basically belongs in that same tier, and he's not going to get you to compete. And that, and that's that stinks to hear, but that's just kind of the reality. If the Bengals want to bring in. The, the proper future beyond Dalton or beyond Tannehill or whoever they draw down in 2019, they need a plan of attack to eventually do that. They either become the worst team in the NFL to get a shot at a guy like Tua Tagliova or Trevor Lawrence in 2021, or they get the assets to trade up because I don't trust the Bengals to sacrifice you know future first-round picks that they don't have extras of. And that's just, I think, a reality that we have to accept if they if we want them to become the next Chiefs, the next you know, Rams, the next, you know, franchise that trade that trades up for a, for a talented, elevating, game-changing first-round quarterback. Yeah, and and like I said, there there are examples of, of both of these types of things working and not working. And, and I'll just say this. Basically, we've seen some of these uh, retread quarterbacks. They're outlier examples, but they link up with a former quarterback, maybe like a Tannehill and Taylor type of thing. And all of a sudden, things kind of click a little easier. I, I specifically remember that being the case with Rich Gannon when he went to the Raiders at the end of his career. He had insane numbers um, where he was kind of a journeyman guy his entire career. He had a couple of nice seasons here and there. He had insane numbers with the Raiders and was like a league MVP. And, and because he got into a system at the end of his career that made sense, was surrounded with guys that fit well into that system, made sense. Perhaps that's what happens with Tannehill and the comfort level that exists there. The other side of the coin is these are the Cincinnati Bengals we're talking about. We know the organizational shortcomings. We know that this team does not operate like I love I love how you said reality that this team doesn't sometimes operate in reality in terms of how other NFL teams operate. And that's why they need. A plan like yours, John, where they accumulate picks to be able to get 
a generational talent at quarterback to be able to raise the rest of the team up and get them over the hump. And and I'm not saying like like if if someone calls for Dolan for like a fourth and fifth round pick, then unload Dolan for that. I, I would definitely try to get a deal that would eventually help them get the future quarterback that they want. Don't don't just trade Dolan because some team wants him for some little picks. I mean, you got to hold yourself to a standard that they did with Adrian McCarron, but you also can't hold off too long where you you might lose a first round pick or whatever in the process. If they find it, if if they go out and actively search for a, de- for a deal for Dolan, which I think they should. They should definitely, you know, look hard about it, vet the deals, and try to take the best one available. But if they don't do it, then that's fine. Then you know, f- find another way in the future. But it's just something that they should consider. And we don't even know if Tannehill is going to be cut, if he's going to be on the open market, and it might even be Tannehill in this situation. But I just think that it's a plan that that should be heavily considered if the Bengals want to move on from Andy Dalton the right way. Yeah. Well, it's it's going to be interesting, and I do think that uh, at some point in the very near future, whether it's this year or next year, or maybe even the year after. But sometime in this Zach Taylor regime, and early on in it, they will be bringing in a new young quarterback. That's just usually how it goes with new coaches. They want, quote-unquote, their guy. I don't know if Dalton is that guy. Um, in terms of how Taylor views him, I don't think so. I think he probably has a specific vision and who he wants. But we will see. We'll see if Andy Dalton is kind of the John Kitna bridge guy, um, whether that's this year, for, for this year, or for this year and next year as they bring in a guy next year. We'll see. But um, I, I, for those people that are, are Dalton supporters and want to want to see him stay in Cincinnati and, and keep playing quarterback for this team, his days might be numbered, um, whether whether you like it or not. Uh, that that's he, I, I, he was attached to the hip with Marvin Lewis, and uh, Marvin Lewis made it very clear throughout his time in, in Cincinnati that even though a, a large contingent of fans were calling for Dalton's head, they were not going to go that route. They were not going to bring in competition. Yeah. So, uh, but check out if you if you need <laughs> the writing and. The game, the kind of the, the game plan uh, behind this Tannehill stuff, uh, it's on CincyJungle.com. Um, quite a divisive topic, to be sure. Um, it is it is a long play, long game play. Um, that that's, I mean, right? That's be, be be brave to think bigger. Don't don't think about 2019. Be brave to think into the next decade. Yep, and that's that's perfect because that's kind of what this offseason has symbolized, right? I mean, that's what they're doing with the coaching staff, the guy they're supposedly bringing in. And here's the other thing entirely, because Dalton's contract is going to expire in two years. He's going to be 33-34. At that point, he's not going to make less than what he makes now. And I know the salary cap's going to increase at that point, but he might ask for a deal similar to Kirk Cousins. I know a lot of people like Andy Dalton, but – the most attractive thing about Andy Dalton is that he doesn't cost too much because you can still build a team around him. But in the time that Dalton has been here, they haven't been able to do that successfully or, or consistently. The most valuable asset in the NFL is an above average quarterback on a rookie contract. That's why teams trade up for it so much. That's why they give up so much of their future for it, for the chance to get the Patrick Mahomes, the Sean Watsons, the Jared Goffs, the Mitchell Trubisky, to build a championship caliber team around a quarterback who can take them there and not cost anything. That's that's what the Bengals should be afterward. That, that's what the Bengals should be after to try to replace Dalton. Don't don't assume that the, a third or fourth round pick that they draft in the next two years is going to be the Dalton replacement. Odds are he's probably not if he's not drafted in the first round. 
They need a guy in the first round. In order, to, in order to take the guy in the first round, they probably have to trade up. If you're the Bengals, you probably don't trade up unless you have assets to cover your back. Yep. And, um, you know, obviously just the way the CBA is currently structured, the risk level is for a top five pick, a top, you know, a number one overall pick, that is far less in terms of a bust factor than it was, you know, 2010 and and earlier because of the amount of money uh, these rookies were making was absurd without taking a a single snap in the NFL. And now, like you mentioned, John, the contracts are very manageable. Um, So, yeah, uh, and and in that time, you have a manageable contract to see if that young guy that you trade up for or go run and get is going to be the guy within those first two, three years. And if not, then you can say, okay, thanks a lot, and, and maybe try it again. Um, that's that's what teams are probably going to do. Uh, this Again, this could be could be Tannehill. There's another interesting situation happening in Philadelphia that that might uh, mm-hmm. that might come into play as well. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. And uh, good stuff from you, John. Despite the polarizing sides to it, and um, yeah, we'll see what the Bengals do there. Pretty interesting stuff. And uh, Benjamin Albright is. An interesting follow. He has a very acquired taste on Twitter, though. Uh, Extremely. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, he's an acquired taste. But uh, he does have a lot of sources and things like that. So uh, he's a guy to, to at least, you know, note when you're when you're talking about things as, as a reliable guy. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're talking about Bengals coaches, potential position changes, and all things that is the turnover of 2019 for the Cincinnati Bengals. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. It's also on YouTube, on Art19, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. We appreciate all of the support that you've shown this program over the couple of years in its existence and all of the readership at Cincy Jungle as well. We're going to get to some listener questions a little bit later. You can call or text us at 949-542-6241. We'll try and get you on the air. Uh, Definitely taking text, but we'll try and get some calls on the air, uh, especially as we close up shop. Uh, But before we get to some listener questions, there's one other topic we want to talk about. Um, And that is... uh, (laughs) I guess we're going to sound like just the total hypocritical Bengals people here, but because everybody wanted these far sweeping changes, right? Everybody wanted all of these changes, all of these coaches gone, Bill Lazor gone, Hugh Jackson gone. Uh, you know, the defensive coordinator, Terrell Lawson was gone during the season. Marvin's gone. So uh, there's these major, major changes, but now like I'm, like we mentioned earlier in the show, there are a number of, of coaching vacancies and the turnover is massive. And there are a couple of concerns, especially right away in terms of a transitional period. I mean, is it too much too soon? Um, And maybe for those who are more patient and can expect maybe a transitional year in 2019, maybe it isn't. Maybe this is what needs to happen. You give it a year, let things kind of settle, guys soak up the systems. And then 2020, 2021 is maybe when you start making your runs. Um, but, I mean, you, you saw Frank Pollock, whether it's on his own terms or whatever, he's leaving the Bengals. Joe Mixon, if you follow him on Twitter, kind of made a sarcastic tweet saying, oh, okay, we're getting rid of the best offensive line coach in the league. Sure, with a sarcastic thumbs up emoji. Um, so there's some concerns maybe in that locker room in terms of 
wow, is this almost too much for some of these guys maybe to grasp right away? And then there's also the defensive talk, right? I mean, this has long been a 4-3 traditional old school style defense. Um, defenses aren't really that rigid anymore. Um, there's a lot of different things that defenses are doing. Who knows who the new coordinator is? Who knows who Zach Taylor is going to bring in as that coordinator and what he envisions? I mean, the Rams run kind of a 3-4-ish type of defense. So there are a lot of moving parts here, and I don't know if that is cause for worry, John. Yeah, I mean, the the, the defensive uh, discussion is an interesting one because a lot of teams at this point, they kind of try to model off what Belichick does, and that's run multiple. So you just run multiple fronts that all, all, all game long and kind of just just, just kind of confuse the, confuse the opposing offense and just um, kind of hide your hand for what you're playing. But, I, I mean, I, I – just me personally, I, I've wanted a full sweeping coaching change for the last couple of seasons ever since that playoff game. I wanted a complete reset for Marvin Lewis, and that's 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 the key worry. It's a reset button that's being pushed. It's not a retool. The last three years, they've tried to retool with Marvin and Andy, try to build you know a, a, a roster without using free agency and without making making major changes in terms of philosophical on the coaching staff. But now that's kind of happening. So yeah, it's it's probably not going to lead to immediate success in 2019 because also the roster is just not there and. I guess not a lot of people are accepting that at this moment, but yeah, if, if they expect to compete immediately with, with, you know, half the, half the coaching staff or over half the coaching staff being completely brand new with, you know, guys having to establish chemistry with their coaches and, you know, a bunch of new guys coming in that presumably Zach Taylor is high on, whether it's free agents or drafts, different kinds of players, maybe players changing roles. You have backups becoming starters, starters becoming backups. There's going to be a lot of change. And that will, of course, probably lead to some sort of transition period, whether that's immediately successful or probably it takes a while to build. That That's just kind of what you just have to eat and what you have to accept when you bring in a guy who's completely different than your last head coach. And that's just, the nature of turnover, and that's what we wanted for so long because, you know, the Marvin Lewis way didn't work. It, it got us to a certain point, but it didn't get us to the point where we wanted to go, and we need to completely change how we look at things if we want to truly progress. And if that takes a year or two of adjusting with a new staff, then that, that, that's just the way it is. But, for again, for people expecting it in a, a Super Bowl run in the first year of Zach Taylor with his brand-new staff and players, this is probably not going to happen. Yeah, and look, nobody wants a mutiny. Uh, a locker room mutiny, yeah. especially early on. Okay, you still, you still have to give guys the buy-in. You know? Right, right. Nobody wants the mutiny. Nobody wants these guys. Like I said, this is a a young guy supposedly coming in here, and some of these guys are almost as old as he is. <laughs> um, and those guys just happen to be some of their best players that are on the roster currently: Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, AJ Green, um, Andy Dalton, perhaps. So. You know, you don't want to sit here and have them be totally disgruntled. But I also think that it's a good thing yes. to have guys be a little uncomfortable for once. Yes. Have guys have their feathers ruffled for once a little bit. I mean, they're, they're, Andy Dalton went unchallenged for a long time. And for better or for worse, there are Dalton people. There are not Dalton people. And... Uh, I mean, he went unchallenged during years where th there was talk that they should have done that. Now, granted, there were a couple of times where Andy Dalton bounced back and, and ended up having like a 2015 type of season, which was very good, but ended up getting hurt. He, he ended up responding to critics a couple of times, but overall, it didn't happen. Um, Michael Johnson is another guy who has always been kind of a, a criticized as to, you know, why he was in such good graces with this team and all of that. 
Um, I, I mean, there are a lot of examples, but I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to kind of get people who have been almost complacent to get them a little uneasy. I completely agree because like if you have, if you have established veterans pro bowlers who are saying, Hey, this isn't the way that we usually do. Well, Taylor's coming in and saying your weight never won a playoff game. Your, your, your way never made it past the wild card round. I, I just made it to at the, at the very least the conference championship round. This is how we do things. This, this is, this is an updated way of, of the NFL. That you guys may not be used to, but you're going to get used to really quick. And if not, you're probably going to see the door. We're just not going to do anything for, for a little bit. But if he comes in with a brand new style of, of leadership and coaching and all that stuff, and it takes guys a while to adjust and that's fine. And if, and if they're hesitant to do it, maybe they're not the guys to, to you know, lead that leadership. I'm not saying, you know, trade your best players if they disagree with the coach, but there, there, there just has to be, you know, a, a sense of them getting to buy in. And if they don't, then there's, there's kind of an issue there, but you go with what Zach Taylor says, because you made him that guy, you given him this power and it's just, you just got to kind of have to run with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you're either with me or you're against me type of thing. Right. I mean, it's like, these are guys that I, it's, these a lot of these guys are Marvin guys, and you know, of course, the cynic or sarcastic person would say, "Well, of course, because Marvin was there for so long, that's why they're Marvin guys." But what I mean by that is, I mean, they, they there are examples of Vontez Perfect calling him like a father figure. There are there are numerous examples of guys, you know, really, really waving the Marvin Lewis flag that are currently still on this team. Um, and now, uh, you know, there's there's a completely different type of coach supposedly coming in here, a younger, progressive, offensive thinking type of guy. And, um, you know, there might be guys that they may have a little shock to their system. And uh, whether that's getting rid of certain coaches that may have been popular figures or what have you, um, that's going to happen. Unfortunately, I hate to see anybody lose their job, but um, that's going to happen. And um, hopefully it's for the betterment for, of the team. What I worry about though, John is, you know, young guy, maybe confident slash cocky um, comes in here and tries to do things his way. People maybe are a little, okay. They kind of buy in, maybe they're a little hesitant, but then the losing starts. Mm-hmm. Um and then all of a sudden, it's kind of the fingers in the ears and tune out time. That's what I worry about. But we, all, we also have to wonder if, like, because, like, I, I guess that situation happened in Arizona where Steve Wilkes had like one one year where he won third, won like three games, and he was out. So I think, I think as long as Taylor believes he has a shield of armor around the organization, then he could he can presume to have that confidence that Marvin that Marvin came in with when he completely you know shocked. Paul Brown Stadium back then. So if Taylor doesn't feel he has that confidence and then the losing starts and players start to turn on them, yeah, then you might have an issue. But I think with the Bengals and and how, you know, however blown away they were by Taylor's interview, I, I think they're going to instill him with confidence that, you know, do things your way. We're going to try to help you and, you know, trying to guide you, whatever. But, you know, you, you're going to have, you're going to have the, 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 the support to kind of, to, to, to kind of just, 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 Take on the take on you know the leadership role that, that you want to do, and if the players backfire, then then so be it. But I don't think he's he's going to have that uh, feeling in the back of his mind that you know it, there could be some type of uprising against him in just one year. Yeah, and uh, you know you're going to have to have guys that quote unquote trust the process, as cliche as that is, and they're going to have to trust that these decisions that the team has made in terms of coaching and overhaul. Um, 
that they, they are going to move the team forward and, and the hires they made are the right ones. And uh, you know, you just have to hope that some of these guys are going to say, yeah, thanks Marvin. Thanks for bringing me here. Thanks for the winning seasons if they were there for that, but uh, it's, it's time to move on. And um, you know, hopefully to bigger and better things. It's just uh, it's a little daunting. And I guess just because, I, like for me sitting here, it's a shock to my system seeing coach after coach after coach, especially coaches that have had long time ties with this organization. It's a little like, whoa, okay, well, it's it's, it's real NFL stuff that we just don't see in Cincinnati. Yep, truly. Yep. So I mean, it, it could it, it's risk reward. It could pay off big. It could uh, hurt the team in the long run. We'll see. But uh, you know, I think it's something that needed to be done. Uh, we're going to get to some uh, listener questions in just a second and uh we do have one actually on the air so i'm gonna grab it here this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast i think i know who this is but uh who's this <laughs> yeah this is terrell what's going on terrell how you doing tonight how you, how you doing tonight how, how you doing john everybody just uh i think john's been better tonight? based on some of the commentary <laughs> he, he's received from his uh his stance on things but I, we're doing all right i just want to say uh i know we kind of surreal kind of shocked that you know we still at the aftermath for marvin being gone and you know uh we dealing with a new coach a lot a lot of uh, teams deal with this almost every other two or three years, but we've been with this for a long time, and we just scared that, you know, uh, the new coach, uh, Taylor, he might lay an egg in the first year, but I'm, it, it's going to be a rebuild in the first year. you got to really understand this, because we, we still need some linebackers. We still uh, need a tight end. We still definitely need some offensive line. Mm-hmm. And uh, I... I um, I believe in um, Dalton better than Tannehill. I'll tell you that though. I mean, if you <laughs> wanted to bring in, if you want to bring in, that's perfectly fine. Like our fake Nick Foles, that'd be cool. But uh, you say what you want about Dalton, man. But Dalton got heart, man. He, he got a he got some heart. Yeah. And um, if if he can at least try to make us the uh, at least half of what the Rams is, uh, I mean. Just, just not, just with the, uh, just with like the play calling. I could tell you this, though. It, is, it might be some second half adjustments this year. I could tell you that, though. <laughs> yeah. That's what's probably going to happen, though, this year. Yeah. Hopefully. And, uh, I just think, I just think that he, uh, he, it, it's going to be a lot of cuts. It's going to be a lot of fan favorites might get cuts. It's going to be maybe some, some new, uh, free agents might turn their heads and might think about Cincinnati, too. But, I just, 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 I just calm down. I know it's gonna take a little minute though, but I was gonna say another thing before I leave. Uh, I think, I think we waiting on two or Trevor Lawrence though. That's what we waiting on. Yeah, two. could but be. How, how, how do you get Trevor Lawrence, man? How do you get Trevor Lawrence without trading up? And, and, and I'm gonna just say this right now. Uh, Joe, Joe Mason might be the top girlie of the AFC. Well, we'll like see. I know. I'm I'm sure Zach Taylor would take that. Thanks, Terrell. We're gonna we're gonna get moving on here. Appreciate you calling in as always, my friend. Thank you. All Thank right, a uh, lot there, but I mean, basically, you've got another person who uh, is on the Dalton train over Tannehill. That's one thing, but um, you know, I, I think, and that's that's the hope is that the Bengals will become 
Rams East, right? I mean, uh, that, uh, you know, the, their their quarterback is a plethora of weapons to throw to that that just know the system in and out. They have uh, a running back who can come in and be, be dominant. And the good news is the Bengals have some of those pieces, at least on offense, in place. Right, John? They have an identity, and I think that's the most important thing. Like, they run 90-something percent of their plays out of one personal package. But they run a plethora of different type of concepts with a lot of condensed formations. They run the same scheme with their running back with Todd Gurley and works every time because they always try to make sure that Gurley has the lightest box to run against. They always have a lot of good matchups in that front four with a great offensive line that the Bengals don't have yet. But they can potentially build it with a guy like Bill Callahan. I think that's the whole goal because the Rams are an exotic smash mouth team, but they, you know, don't do anything they don't show their hand to anything different you know they, they run the same personnel but they run a lot of different things out of the personnel and their defense is built on just f- frenetic talent as well because they built that for a lot from free agency and, and along with the drafts as well i i think that's the goal for the Bengals with a guy like taylor to bring in that same type of establishment of, a, of an identity to utilize their strengths to their best Hard to disagree with you there. And, uh, John, I think we've got someone uh, on the line here who is an ardent ardent disagreer of uh, your stance yet again, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Who's this on the air? Uh, This is Brown Shoot. How are you guys doing? We're all right. How you doing, man? Uh, doing all right. Can you hear me all right? I'm uh, driving my semi truck right now. Uh, I, I, I got you. Yeah, we we got you. Can you hear John or no? Um, right now I can't hear John. Uh, no, uh, here we go. How are you, Brown Shoe? Nice drive. Hello. I can kind of hear him, but I. Not you, you, you don't want to hear me. I want to hear yeah. you, though. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So give it. Give us your thoughts on the uh, on the on because uh, I think you are one of the folks in the uh, the chat that that were in ardent disagreement with John. Yeah. I mean, no, no, nothing personal with you, John. Like, it's, don't don't think that. But I've always been a big Andy Dalton fan. I mean, uh, a big thing is people always overestimate what he's been, like, what he's had throughout his years. When he came into the Bengals in 2011, he, he inherited a 4-12 team, a team that just lost all their weapons. They had to get uh, A.J. Green uh, in the first round. He was a rookie. Everybody else, Chad Johnson, everybody else was gone. So he had, he brought a four and twelve team to the playoffs uh, all the way up until 2015 every single year, and all he had until 2013 was AJ Green. He didn't have Muhammad Sanu or uh, or uh, Marvin Jones until 2013. They were on the bench in 2012. He didn't have Tyler Eifert until 2013, also, and he was on the bench in 2013. Really, I mean, if you look at all uh, Dalton's most productive years, he was playing really, really good, borderline elite when he when he had talent around him. In 2013, he was third in touchdowns and seventh in yards when he had AJ Green, Muhammad Sanu, and Marvin Jones. He hasn't. He's only had a good running game like one year in his career, and that was last year. Like if you give Dalton 
a good supporting cast, he's going to be good. Well, uh, that's that, yeah, that's been that's been Dalton's uh, Dalton's mo. Hey, uh, Brownchu, we're gonna we we got a lot of calls coming in, so we're gonna let you go. But I think you've made some good points, and I'm gonna let John respond off the air here. Okay, bud, drive safe. Thanks. Uh, well, John. I mean, uh, and by the way, I will. I will read a text uh, in a in a second. Um, I, I will read a text here in a second. Uh, basically, in support of you. But uh, go ahead and talk about what what brown shoe uh, shot over to you. If that's the same brown shoe from the old Bengals forums, I remember him. He's a very avid Bengals fan. Uh, he always was in those Andy Dalton uh, debates. But brown shoe proves another point of mine. Dalton is a guy that you can definitely manufacture production because at this point, when you compare him to the 31 other starting quarterbacks in the league off natural talent, he's probably somewhere in the 16 to 20 range. Like he's not going to elevate any any guys around him. Like he just proved he just proved a lot of our points when you surround him with great talent. He can produce, you know, at a, at a high level. It, does that mean he's a high-level quarterback? No, it just means he's dependent on what's around him. Again, you can't building a team around him so talented that he has that he has to have that to produce at that level. It's not sustainable if you're paying him like a franchise quarterback. They tried to do it for a couple of years of guys on rookie deals. When it was time to pay those guys, they didn't pony up, and eventually the team dissipated because they couldn't build around him because they were paying him too much. Yada yada yada. Didn't. You know, didn't draft well, didn't have a lot of free agency. Well, you need a, you need a quarterback who not only costs not a lot on a rookie contract, but you need a guy who can elevate guys around you. Andy Dolan's just not that. He's completely dependent on what's around him because he's not as talented as other quarterbacks who are. And that's just the reality of, of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think in an ideal world, Andy Dalton would be, you know, become that guy somehow magically under Zach Taylor in this system. And, uh, you know, he's the guy that, potentially does things that uh, these other good quarterbacks do and not be the guy that uh, relies on other outside talent um, to elevate his game. We got one more call here coming through. Uh, I'm going to grab this real quick here. Hey, it's the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? Hey, it's John from Kentucky. John, hey, sorry. We were uh, we were getting a lot of calls and texts, buddy. We uh, – the lines were tied up, but uh, I'm glad you called back in and uh, got your got your two oh, cents no, here. That's fantastic. That's what happens when the Bengals make changes. People are interested <laughs> in the Bengals again. Well, so, yeah, uh, when the Bengals make cha- changes and and uh, when when people are listening to such a high quality program such as ours, that's that's what happens. Absolutely, <laughs> I love this program. Well, I what's going on, John? I uh, appreciate well, it. I tell you what, I've got some changes to make myself on the Sensi Jungle site. I've got to change my username because I said I would change it to a uh, to a better name uh, if they uh, got rid of Hugh Jackson. Well, they've done that. So now, not only am I going to change my username, I will not have an unkind thing to say about the Bengals for the next five years. I mean, I have watched <laughs> this team that we have right or that we that we did have for 16 years, Anthony. I think the first time I talked to you about eight years ago and I was complaining about the Bengals and whining and whatnot, Marvin Lewis had been there eight years. I think, you yeah. know, uh, and I just kept on and on. And yep. this is the best change I have that, that's happened to me in a while. I feel young again. <laughs> I'm energetic now. You know what I mean? I, I do. And I think, uh, I, I would like to think that a lot of the Bengals players feel the same way, that the ones who have been there 
and seen a lot under Marvin Lewis. Hopefully they, they feel the same way. How do you feel about um, the coaching overhaul and what has, uh, you know, the, the young guy they're bringing in? And uh, I mean, are you, obviously you're excited, you noted that, but I mean, are you, are you also uh, hesitant? I mean, you've been a fan of this team for a long time. Are, are you worried that this is a David Shula-esque, I guess, kind of signing? Uh, no, 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 no. I don't see, I don't think we'll go quite in that direction. I know uh, Dave Shula, when he took over, he took over right after Sam Weiss. Mike Brown had no experience whatsoever in owning an NFL football team. Uh, those were just some, you know, some bad times. Paul Brown had recently uh, passed away. The Bengals were in shambles. They really yeah. were. Uh, so, and no, they're no, they're in nowhere near that condition uh, right now. Yeah. And I don't know if Mike Brown's children, you know, his daughter, his son-in-law have a lot of say-so now. I, I don't know. But they have made some great changes here. And, no, I, I don't think they're in anywhere near that condition right now. I think they will be good. I think this new coaching staff, I would think at worst, would be 8-8. Eight and eight. I mean, I don't know. But, look, after watching Marvin Lewis for 16 years and after just copying this attitude that this team doesn't care they are run like some bureaucracy. They never make changes. And, yeah, they sold the stadium out for quite a while. Yeah. They did. Mike Brown was the envy of the NFL because yeah. he had a mediocre team that never won in prime time <laughs> or never won in the playoffs. Yet he could, no, no, he consistently sold out the stadium. Yeah. Well, that began to change in these last two years. The fans were like, okay, go ahead and bring Marvin back. You're not bringing us back. No, it was a lot of people. Yeah. And I think that had a lot to do with the changes made. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. I'm going to go to a game this year. I haven't been to a game in six years. When they lost to the Chargers, I said I ain't going back up there. Five <laughs> really want a playoff game. Wow. I told my son that. Wow. And so I'm going to a game next year. So man, I feel great. I feel young again. Good. Well, let us let us know which one you go to, and uh, if we can swing it out there, we'd love to meet you in person, man. That'd be fantastic. They've got some good times coming, definitely. Okay, well, look, I don't want to take up too much time. I don't know if you got other callers waiting, but I'm, I'm just tickled to death. And going to what John was saying about Tannehill, I mean, Dalton's been here, what, eight years, nine years? I like Dalton, but I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with John about Tannehill right now. If they did trade Dalton, so be it. Now, I would like to see Dalton, as I was chatting earlier, I'd like to see him get one season under a new coaching staff. Yeah. All I ever saw Dalton was under Marvin Lewis. Yeah. And I would like to see Dalton just one season with this new staff, see what he does. If we win a Super Bowl, fantastic. If we don't, then whatever. Or if they decide not to do it at all and trade him, whatever. I mean, the Bengals are making changes, and I'm not going to argue with any changes they make at this point. I'm just happy something different has happened. Yeah, it's about, it's about if you deal Dalton, it's using the resources that you get from dealing him and using them wisely to better the team. That's, you know, whether that's freed up money from, from another quarterback or, or moving up to get a potential franchise-changing guy. John, we're, we're going to close up shop. Appreciate you calling in. Good hearing from you. Thanks for uh, calling Thanks in one more okay. time here uh, when the lines were tied up. Awesome. All right, well... Let's get to a couple quick text messages here, uh, John, because I, you know, you've already had a couple of people come your way uh, <laughs> about the uh, the Dalton thing. Um, let's see what was the uh, it's from from Dean. Uh, 
um, saying, I just want to say I'm with John and it's time to turn the page on Dalton. He has value now. Don't miss out like they did with Chad Johnson when they could. Uh, when they could have gotten fir- two first round picks, if you remember that, John, that was uh, supposedly there was an offer. I do not remember that. At yeah, all. it was when there was a disgruntled. Uh, I think it was maybe after eight um, or, or something, and 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 it was the Redskins that were supposedly offering a one and a three that could become another one. Uh, that was kind of a a, a production based pick there. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's he's in agreement with you there. Um, and he also adds, this franchise has won five playoff games in 51 years. It's time to roll the dice. And I fi- I really finally have hope that that's happening. So um, five, I, that's just crazy to think about. Five. And he don't has won one. Yep. He doesn't have any of them. Um, the, let's see, the other is from, this is an actual question. We talked, we hinted a little bit at the Eagles. This is a different route with it, but... Uh, it's Frank from Virginia, by way of Mason. Um, there, uh, there's been chatter about Tannehill uh, with the familial connection Zach has with his brother in, in Philly, Press. Um, number one, do you, do you think Press comes over in maybe a, a larger role uh, to the Bengals? And then does that mean then that we're talking about Nick Foles at some point instead of a Ryan Tannehill? Yes. Oh. Oh, you kind of flipped it. Up. I was, I was saying like, or, uh, or, or you're saying they, they keep Foles and maybe Wentz is the guy. Yeah, because like, like Foles, I think is like being talked about going to Jacksonville because they just hired uh, John D. Filippo as their offense coordinator. D. Filippo was the guy. It was uh, Wentz's quarterback coach, or Wentz and Foles was quarterback coach in 2017 when they won the Super Bowl. But yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting um, um, thing if you if you were to bring press over because I do think that press is one of the favorites to become offensive coordinator because, you know, as we've mentioned that their options are pretty slim pickings at this point, but that's definitely interesting because I don't know how much Foles is going to cost to get on the open market, depending on what what his demand is. I know his demand would be higher than Tannehill. And I don't know if the difference between Tannehill and Foles is that much, but obviously Foles has proved himself worthy in in, in big games and that might attract some other franchises. And I think at this point, Jacksonville is probably the favorite for him, but that's, that's definitely an interesting scenario right there. Yeah, I mean, if, if somehow this the things work out where Philly keeps Foles because that's the guy they, they just want and he's had postseason success, the injuries are frustrating on Carson Wentz, and somehow, you know, it would take quite a bit of capital to make that happen. But if, if somehow Cincinnati can get their hands around Carson Wentz instead of Nick Foles in this whole deal, that would be, wow, that would be uh, – <laughs> Yeah, that, that would involve the highest variety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Nick Foles could be an option. That that's another guy a lot of fans are talking about, especially because of Press Taylor, and it makes sense. But uh, I don't, I don't know that. Uh, I don't, I don't know that that'll happen. I, you know, the, like I said, this the, this team has been so conservative. It's almost like you're waiting for them to say, okay, the coaching staff overhaul. That that's. That's the, you know, the the uncertain part. We get we got to be conservative at, at some point, which is maybe keeping Dalton for a year or two, and and at some point you wait for them to be conservative, or maybe, you know, maybe this young guy Zach Taylor has uh, has come in, grabbed their ears, and maybe saying, hey, you got to do more in free agency, you got to do more in the draft in terms of maneuverability, and uh, that's what's gonna that's what it's gonna take, and um, you know, we'll we'll see if that happens. Hopefully. That's something we, we saw the Rams be aggressive in free agency over the past couple of years, right, John? Yeah, 
and look, look, look and it's paid off. Look at like look at look, the, the highest. The, I think it was the three, the the top two teams in spending this year. I think were the Saints and Rams. They're going to meet in the NFC Championship. Yep. Just, it's just how it is. You yep. got to spend. You got to spend. It's it's not it's not rocket science. <laughs> so uh, you know that's the, and hopefully the Bengals end up changing their ways. That that would be a major major change because that is something that they have long been adverse to um, in terms of spending money and outside free agency and moving up in the draft and all that kind of stuff. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. We're, we're going to get out of here. A lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages. Thanks so much for all of the, a lot of comments in the YouTube chat. Sorry, we couldn't get to all of them. We tried to get to as many as possible. Uh, We appreciate the patience. We appreciate all of the interaction. Um, I know especially John appreciates the interaction tonight. Uh, <laughs> it's been it's been that show, and I'm appreciative of that. Well, we, we're due. We haven't had one, for a, <laughs> I don't think, for a really long time. So we, we were due. But uh, I, I, I didn't mean to set you up for that. I mean, hey, you got a platform. Why not? Uh, and, and hey, there's logic to what you're saying. Seriously, there is. Um, it's just a matter of... Uh, it, 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 it's, it's my humble beginnings as a hot take artist. There you go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> just don't, just don't go. Uh, I'll skip Bayless on it here. <laughs> we'll be all right. Um, yeah, but this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenzi. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, the Art19 uh, website, as well as YouTube, and everything is on cincyjungle.com. We will be interviewing Mark Walton, Bengals running back, uh, later this week, so keep your eyes out and ears out for that interview. It'll also go up on cincyjungle.com, at least the highlights of it and the audio and video of that will as well. So keep your eyes out for that. Thanks so much for all the calls, text messages, and whatnot. John, any final thoughts before we uh, jet out of here, my friend? All right. So I have an announcement for anyone who doesn't know. I don't, I, I didn't, I haven't even told you this directly, Anthony, but on Twitter a couple weeks ago, I announced that I'd be going to the Senior Bowl for the second year in a row. Uh, that will be happening next week. So I'll be, so this time next week, I'll be down in mobile. I'll be rooming with, the the legend himself Joe Goodberry. So hopefully we'll, we'll still be able to get a show out for you for you guys. Maybe I'll report in live from mobile. We'll have to I'll have to talk with Anthony with that. But definitely, you know, over the next few weeks, m- maybe you know, add us some type of content that you want from the Senior Bowl, and I will I will do my best to deliver because even though you guys may call me a hack or whatever, I love every one of you guys, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, that would be awesome if we can get you from if you and or and Joe. You know, if we can get you and Joe, uh, since you guys will be uh, best buddies down there, um, if we can get both you guys or something uh, to do that, I, I would love to have both you guys on here and at least give updates, talk about some players that are impressing you. That's really cool, man. Um, I have gone to uh, the NFL PA Bowl, and that's mm-hmm. nowhere near the luster of uh, the, the where you're going. And, um, you know, for me, that was just kind of a quick drive up the freeway. Um, you know, this is a full blown trip and that's really cool that you're doing that. And, um, I think Joe's been there before, right? He's been once or twice. This is his first time. Oh, it is his first time. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that'll be fun, man. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of mobile is a great town specifically for food. Which yeah, the re- the only reason why I'm going back is for food. awesome barbecue, right? Isn't that yeah. the, the whole deal? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you'll you'll be stoked on that, man. That'll be fun. And uh, if you can provide updates, or or uh, if you're able to join us for a show while you're out there, what what days are you out there? Just so people who follow you on Twitter know um, when you're out there for practices and all that stuff. Yeah, so I'll be down there for there's three days of practices: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'll be there for each of them. Leave uh, Friday morning and come come back. So I won't be there for the game, but I will be there for the practices, which is 
what, what really truly matters. Like the right. game is a glorified exhibition game, but the practices you learn a lot about the players and whatever, and that's that's the that's the good content. And I'll, I'll I hope to bring some of you guys it. Yeah, and if you have uh, if you're able to snag interviews, all that stuff, um, that'd be awesome, man. That's we the plan. Definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. Uh, hard to top that. I don't really have much else. Uh, just thanks for the calls, uh, text messages, and everything this week. A lot of content uh, or a lot of interaction. And the, and like I said, we're, we're bringing more content um, in the form of interviews. Perhaps, John, if he's able to join us from, this, from the Senior Bowl, that'd be cool, too. Um, we're trying to mix things up a little bit on the show and hopefully bring you a more all-inclusive type of program thanks for all the support get the show where you can we'll see you next episode appreciate it My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.